1: Santo,
2: ruler of the earth, the air and water too. Have you ever figured what you're gonna do when you find you've poisoned
3: even you? Michael Hurley is an American musician, songwriter, illustrator, and singer based in the state of Oregon. Born in 1941, Hurley has been writing and recording music and touring the world for more than 50 years, earning accolades for his guitar playing and his originality as a heartfelt, uncompromising artist with a penchant for comedy and an interest in genuine expression. Having primarily lived in border states for most of his life, Hurley has been steadfast in his visits to Canadian cities and ahead of September 2018 shows with Darren Hanlon in Toronto, Montreal, and a few of the northeastern United States. He and I connected for a talk about his life and times, his musical and visual artistic trajectory, forthcoming new music and releases, and much more. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and of course... Listeners like you who make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, download episodes and subscribe to this podcast. This is the 425th episode of Creative Control featuring Michael Hurley with your host, me, Vish Khanna.
2: Canola, all the I can't even find the junk food that you did not destroy. Alfalfa for the cows And it's going in the cheese Into the babies in my mother's womb Monsanto, please
3: Monsanto Hi, Michael. How are you? Oh, uh, well... Nice to speak with you. It's a great honor. I, first of all, I, I'm curious, where in the world are you right now?
4: Well, I'm in uh, Brownsmead, um, Oregon, which is near uh, Astoria, Oregon.
3: Okay is that is that where you've been? Uh, I, I've I've heard that you were living in Portland, but uh, are you living somewhere else now? Is that you're living in Brownsmead?
4: Right, I've been living in Brownsmead for about seven years now.
3: I see. I see. Okay. And what what's that community like exactly?
4: Well, it's not a community here; it's uh, just rural hills.
3: Oh, I see. It's a rural area. Yeah. Okay. And what? Do you, and is, is that suits you? I assume Are you a little isolated. Are you a little remote from other people.
4: No, we've got neighbors around. It's like um, old farms and uh, residences, and on the edge of a, of a forest preserve.
3: Oh, I see. Okay. So
4: oh. it's kind of like you know, bit back in the hill.
3: And, and, and is there any particular reason? Sorry, and before that, you, you were, were you living in Portland?
4: Uh, not really, not much. But maybe temporarily at times have been living there. But I do a lot of going there to play music.
3: I see. Okay. And uh, your property there in in Brownsmead? Are you on a farm per se?
4: Not really. It's just a few acres.
3: Okay, you're not on
4: the edge of the forest preserve.
3: You're not growing anything per se.
4: Not this year. Usually I have a garden. But now I just have a few things I'm growing.
3: I see. Okay. Okay. No, it's I, I I just I know you like food and I I know you have something of I believe you have something of an interest in agriculture. I just wasn't sure uh, how how Yeah I do. Yeah, you do? Okay. Yeah. So what what kinds of things do you grow in your garden if I might ask? Uh vegetables. Vegetables, those are good. Anything in particular?
4: Well I I grow uh, beans and uh Greens and uh, root vegetables like uh, parsnips and uh, beets and like that sort of
3: that sort of stuff. Okay, no, that that's.
4: Uh, I'd like to grow uh, peas. I still a lot of peas and beans. I think that's my favorite thing to yeah, grow.
3: That sounds quite delicious, actually. Uh, I have to say that sounds that sounds pretty good. We have a. We have to get that stuff from a crop share here. the The farmers come into the the city I live in, and we go once a week, and we pick all that stuff up. Exactly what you're talking about. The same stuff.
4: Yeah, and I have um, you know, all I've got now in my garden because I toured so much this year. It's been the busiest year of my life, so I didn't. My garden is fallow, but but it's full of mustard greens.
3: <laughs> oh, I see.
1: Because
4: they they survive uh, the winter and just re, re, uh, revitalize in the spring.
3: I see, I see. So this was the hardest touring year of your, your life, you say. What does that consist of exactly? Were you gone? How many months of the year were you out on so, the road?
4: Oh, probably uh, three or four, but it, the travel was a lot. I went to um, Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, and I came back, and then uh, the rest for a while I went to England and Ireland, and I came back, and Now I'm about to go off to the uh, Northeastern United States, which is uh, something I've done for the last three years. Right. I've been going to Toronto, Montreal, Vermont, New York City, Boston, and Rhode Island, and uh, sometimes I go to, I'm I'm in Ohio also. Right. And uh, North Carolina
3: and and sorry i must jump back a bit though had you have you toured australia and and those places new zealand and and any of those places before
4: yeah i, I toured australia for the first time in 2016 oh okay and then uh, i did also again this year
3: it seems to me in my uh, i'm i'm a younger person than you but it seems to me the traveling uh, Is getting a bit more cumbersome. It's a little more difficult to do from my perspective. I have children now, actually, so that that's another whole other, you know, monkey wrench in the works or whatever. But what about you? Are, are you finding traveling uh, easier, more difficult?
4: It's difficult, more difficult with getting, when you, when airplanes are involved for sure, and uh, crossing borders, customs. It's kind of unpredictable now, uh, but they'll put you through it various. International dates.
3: Yeah. 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 It's, it, it seems to be harder than it ever has been in some ways. I was reflecting upon the fact that um, I've actually seen you perform music live in Montreal, Quebec, Sackville, New Brunswick, and Toronto, Ontario. I think those are the three places I've seen you play. And, yeah. you know, that's those that they're far, those places are quite a distance from one another. It speaks to your. Uh, dedication and, and interest in touring here in Canada. I I'm curious. Is Canada a meaningful place to you, uh, uh, personally or artistically?
4: Very much so. In fact, um, I'm a big listener to CBC. I frequently have it on have it on every night at my house. Uh, I listen to the CBC from six o'clock on through uh, through all night occasionally.
3: Are there particular programs you I've been, like? Uh,
4: I've been doing that for years.
3: Yeah. Are there... was,
4: even when I lived in Virginia, I was able to get CBC in, at nighttime in Virginia on AM radio. Mm-hmm. And then the, I lived in Vermont for about 20 years, uh, ending in the mid-80s. And uh, everyone in Vermont can can get very clear uh CBC or at least northern Vermont So we had that going on For We got the Montreal CBC in, in the 70s listen to it A lot of good music, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
4: It's hard hard to find good music on an a.m Set. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's, a.m. is mostly talk as you probably know.
3: Yeah, yeah so, so- um is there anything about the—so CBC is Canada's national public broadcaster. Is there anything about the—you um, mentioned the music. Is there anything in terms of news programming or talk radio that you hear on CBC that compels you to listen? You know, you're getting Canadian perspectives on— Yeah,
4: it's mainly the talk, the, the talk content.
3: Oh, okay, that's what like you I listen like to the most of um, okay.
4: Yeah, I like the human interest pieces on uh, As It Happens, I think, the best. Now the funny story is like you contact the telephone, some funny story, and they contact the person involved.
3: Right. Yeah, that's that, a... That's pretty good. That's a good show. Is, is, does this speak to anything? I, I don't know if it speaks to your lack of interest in American media, but, I mean, we think up here of, of the United States as having, you know, a lot of prominent media sources itself, NPR, these kinds of things your preference is CBC. Is that just because you prefer our perspective on things, uh, and you maybe get enough of the American one? What is it exactly?
4: Well, one thing the news, the Canadian perspective, um, it's, uh, very concerned with what's going on in the United States, but it has a, a less biased view of it. Yeah. Because they don't have any, so much consequences. If they, if they speak, speak the truth. Right. And, uh, it's more laid back I'm a slower paced um, thinker and so forth and and um, the, the pace of uh, NPR is that's on my nerves it's a little too speedy
3: oh I see okay it's too fast I I, um, I, I hear you
4: yeah are there I'm any a country guy you
3: know <laughs> that's right you're a country guy are there any Particular musicians or comedians or visual artists from Canada that mean anything to you or have ever meant anything to you?
4: Uh it's the uh, Stomp and Tom Connor.
3: Yeah, he's a, a, a heroic figure here to some. Stomp and Tom Connors, absolutely. Yeah, what is it about? He's a he's a he was a man of the people kind of guy. He he wrote what he he he, he observed things and he wrote about them and he tried to speak to the Canadian condition. He resonated with you.
4: Oh yeah. No, um, it's not just highly entertaining. A lot of great songs. First thing I ever heard was, was on a forty-five um Bud the Spud from the Big Red Mud. Yeah, rolling down the highway, smiling.
3: <laughs> yeah, I
4: can... that was in the sixties. I, I first heard heard that. Then I, I met some Canadians from Toronto who came down to to hear me in Ohio when when night and the. They did that a lot. They, they would, if I played anywhere near uh, the border or, or ne- within the range of uh, Toronto, these Canadians would come down and, uh, when they found out I liked Stompin' Tom, they'd bring me Stompin' Tom records. Oh, cool. So I got a got a, a lot of Stompin' Tom LPs and stuff like this now. Uh, got a nice uh, DVD of a tour he did.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. He's someone who uh, often infused humor in his songs. They, they were witty. they were there were good stories, but were, there were there's a lot of humor there. I think of you as, as as doing something similar in that vein. Do you was he was he an influence to you? I mean, you say you heard a song of his uh, in the '60s, a '45. Did did he end up sort of influencing you or inspiring you in any way? I think
4: Mark <clears throat> just resonates with me.
3: Hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Well, where where exactly? We've talked a little bit about you're living in Oregon, and you, I feel like you mentioned uh, when you lived in Virginia. Where are you actually from?
4: Uh, I guess I grew up in uh, eastern Pennsylvania in Bucks County, which is near, uh, kind of lies between Philadelphia and, and New York City.
3: Kind of, sort of, close to Canada on some level. Up, up, getting, get, you're a little close there. You seem to always be a little bit close to Canada.
4: <laughs> yeah. I'd like to play um, more festivals in Canada in the future.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, some of our music festivals up here. Yeah, yeah. You've you've heard uh, you've played. The, actually, in Sackville, I saw you play at Sappy Fest. That was uh, that's a good. That's one of our. I think of that as one of yeah. our finer finer music festivals.
4: Oh well, that was really a good one.
3: Is there something about some artists don't really like playing festivals because it's kind of a traffic jam of of music? But is there something about the festival experience that you actually like?
4: Yeah, I particularly like festivals. You know, it's more of an adventure. You know. Yeah. Gigs, uh, late, you like? Gigs might take you to a lot of places, but sometimes you just arrive at night and leave in the early morning, and you might think, "Well, this is a great place to be," but uh, you might not be there even twenty-four hours.
3: Yeah, it's true. That that, that is absolutely true.
4: And often you. You get there just in time to start to play, and then um, by the time you're done, all, all you've got left on your agenda is going to bed and waking up and moving out in the morning.
3: Yeah, right, getting going to the next city.
4: So even with, with meeting people and seeing the sights, it's it's really limited at times.
3: Yeah, well, I... I
4: but Traveling and doing gigs.
3: Yeah, yeah, I hear that. there. Well, you mentioned you, you grew up in eastern Pennsylvania. I'm curious, what or who inspired you to uh, get interested in music and to take it up yourself. I don't actually know that story exactly. Do you have any recollection of that, what it was that triggered your interest in music?
4: I think it started slowly with um, my parents being musically inclined and uh, having a lot of records and and singing a lot and partying a lot. Before I even knew that I had a particular interest in music. I was absorbing songs and even singing them occasionally and uh after a while i, I came into a fifties rock and roll mm-hmm. and uh that too I was about eleven years old when uh That's domino released uh ain't that a shame and uh it was uh, you know my, my sister's older sisters were uh, older than I was and they, they st- along with my mother buying records and father bringing records in. And they started buying this rock and roll, and after a while i started started getting on it myself. My main obsession when I started buying records was fats domino
3: I see okay that's fascinating because I guess, when you first
4: to get obsessive about things <laughs> that,
3: <you> know. <laughs> right so you are did when did that uh, obsession with fats domino turn into something else because you as I recall or from what i've read you you started recording music when you were around 22 or so, right? Twenty, twenty, Just just past 20 years old or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. So, And, and the music you made didn't seem a lot like Fats Domino. Is that fair to say?
4: Uh, it's fair to say. <laughs> it was, uh, I really had a lot of other influences. And uh, I guess my main quality about my music wasn't uh, playing rock and roll at the time, because I'd been raised on... I guess more like general pop and folk and jazz and kind of grew up with the like That's Waller Jelly Roll Morton records and mm-hmm. uh, and pop music just the, and uh, old folk music too like the, yeah my parents would party and sing old folk songs and stuff so
3: is that it was that those parties and, and those yeah. sing-alongs is that what inspired you to start trying to play yourself
4: yeah I took up the guitar actually uh, kind of late in life been 17 years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Before that, I took up, I started playing the mandolin, but it was because of rock and roll that I did. Because uh, when I started getting excited about rock and roll, that's when I started playing uh, my first instrument, which was the mandolin. Hmm.
3: And, and were you sort of self-taught, or was it from observation? Were there any guitarists that influenced you? I, I think of you as having a, a pretty unique and... Uh, idiosyncratic style. Um, and I'm just curious if that's just from your own exploration of the instrument, or were there players that you were trying to emulate?
4: Mainly I was just finding anything I could that I could play on the guitar. And I started learning from my friends. Like, find a friend who also plays guitar learn what he knows. It used to be, uh, there weren't so many people who played guitar. Mm. And I started... a. Uh, this was the late 50s, and uh, we, we see somebody with a guitar. We're, say we're driving around the town, and we see somebody walking down the street with a guitar, carrying a guitar case. Then was uh, stopping, uh, having pull out his guitar, see what, what he's going to do
3: on his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> is it is that's uh, as, as memory serves? That's kind of how you were discovered, right? You were walking down the street uh, carrying a guitar. I was
4: hitchhiking uh, on the. The country road, where, River Road, where family home was, and I got picked up because I had a guitar with no case, a Stella. Uh huh. And just, and I got picked up by Fred Ramsey, who was a he was a folklorist, and he, he uh, was recording, field recordings for Folkways, and he just picked me up probably as curiosity because I had the guitar, and uh, or maybe just because. I was his neighbor.
3: Oh, he recognized you.
4: I don't know. But... <laughs> as soon as I got in the car, he started asking me about the guitar. He you said, know, What do you play? And I said, Mostly blues. And I started plonking away, and then he could tell I was a complete amateur hmm. immediately. And he said, Well, if you want to learn to play some blues, come up to my place. i have got nice, some nice old 78s you can listen to. He looks at that and he blues music.
3: I see, so that's that's a very fortuitous situation. He just spotted you, took you up, and then uh, spent some time, and then, yeah, then you ended up making a record for Folkways, right?
4: Yeah, it took a few years, but it was my first record, and it was recorded in Fred's house.
3: Right, right. You tend to like recording in people's homes, if you can, as opposed to studios, right?
4: Yeah, and now my own home.
3: Oh, excellent. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to set up at home.
4: Yeah, was, we had a session here last night. I had a session uh, last week, bring people in occasionally, but mostly I I just uh, do a two-track recording of myself, and I can have someone come in maybe if I want to um, and add a a track or so later.
3: Okay, so you're actively working on uh, new music.
4: Yeah, I'm compiling a bunch of uh, songs right now.
3: I see, okay. Well, I want to hear more about those. In a moment, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about, among other things, was your art. Uh, you are renowned for your artwork, your album artwork, your comic books, your, your characters. Uh, do you have any recollection of where that interest came from?
4: I just like to uh, draw, and my older sister uh, was really gifted with the uh, facility to like, do someone's portrait, and it would look very, very recognizably like them it seemed like some kind of magic and something I didn't have, but at least it showed me this is something you can do. I mean, it, it, this is something that can be done. So that's what started me scrawling.
3: Right. So, pictures. It, right. And, and, and how do, are you still, is it something you do often? Do you, are you still illustrating?
4: Yeah. I, mostly, uh, I do, uh, I do, uh, my creation of paintings is slowed down, but it's speeding up again. <laughs> and, uh, I do album covers and posters. And uh, I do album covers for other people and posters and uh you no know, album art.
3: Yeah, I assume with your busy tour schedule it's maybe more difficult to sit down and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that might explain why it slowed down, but it's picking up again. That's that's nice to hear. I uh, Yeah, is there any buddy or any anything that maybe influenced your style and your approach to what you do?
4: When I first started uh, doing cartoons, uh, there was Mad Magazine where it was pretty popular. And there was this guy, uh, Jack Davis was one of the illustrators for Mad. I liked his uh, style, but I'd always read comic books growing up. I think that's how I learned how to read. And there was this other artist, Fred Harmon, who did a Red Rider, mm-hmm. Red Rider and Little Beaver. And, uh, Great artist, great illustrator. Really knew how to draw horses. Horses? And, uh, yeah. Huh. Also, in the the elementary schools, I went to uh, many different elementary schools in Pennsylvania, Florida, and California. And uh, there was tradition then to, uh, during all the boring um, teaching sessions, for <laughs> boys to uh, draw. And then they, we'd all draw stuff and pass it around mostly what the kids were drawing was uh, war pictures like uh, a kid would draw a battleship a whole bunch of airplanes circling around people planes getting shot down uh, planes firing at the ship uh, you know people parachuting out of their planes and and the other theme was the cowboys I think the war the war theme was like early 50s and stuff the war theme was much stronger than the cowboy theme, but was, they were both going on. Hmm. And some kids even, even wrote stories. They made up stories and, and would longhand a, a page with some kind of adventure story, and, and we'd pass these things up the aisles. You know.
3: I see. Okay. So th- that, that's fascinating. So you are kind of influenced by your friends in some way and what they were doing.
0: Yeah, and being in this kind of,
4: if the teacher wasn't there, and on the teacher's desk would be a stack of paper. Right. <laughs> just grab, grab a, a generous number of papers off the teacher's stack, go sit down, and start uh, start drawing.
3: Right. Huh. That's fascinating. I, I, I'm, you know, your your practice is fascinating to me generally. Just the, all the things you do, and one of the things that strikes me. About your music is that you often re-record and re-release songs in sort of different iterations, and I'm curious does that signify anything about your relationship to your own music or to recordings? I I thought there might be something there, some reason why you you choose to do this every once in a while. You'll just you know re-record one of your older songs. Can you speak to that?
4: Yeah, I like to. Um, it it kind of changed for me. <clears throat> some songs I really can't relate to. Playing them anymore,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and other songs become different uh, for me. And, and I, uh, I would still like to play them, but I'm playing them differently. So to me, that's enough of a difference. I should put it out again. Plus, it might it might be out of print anyway. Right. It might not be available to the next wave of record buyers, which I think every seven years that there's a different wave of sort of a different culture. Crew comes on about every seven years.
3: Seven years? Where did you come up so, with that uh, figure? Seven? I've never heard seven. Why? Why do you think it's seven years? That's just what I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think maybe it's every ten years. Maybe is what I would say. But it's just interesting that you came up with seven. That's... Well,
4: you might be right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty close. But
4: definitely by by ten years there's a big difference.
3: Yeah. I'd, I'd... So does that? Speak to anything about your relationship with the songs. Like, do they say something different to you? Or obviously, they resonate yeah, for you. Yeah, but yeah. they they're, they're different, right? Either...
4: with one now. Just recorded one now that as I, I recorded it uh, in the '80s, just like uh, just more elaborated. I think during the '80s, from the '80s on, I always had sort of a different chord arrangement to it, right. slightly different. It, it gets to a point where I really didn't know what I was doing. I guess. <laughs> I'd do something, but then I'd forget what I did, and the next time I would play it, I'd, I'd do something a little bit different in that place, and then finally uh, come upon an arrangement I really like, and so this is the way it goes.
3: I see. Are you are you uh, able to tell us what song you're referring to?
4: It's Lush Green Trees. and guess you'll see that this year or next year on a record, I guess. Okay. Again. But the record it's originally on, you won't see at all because uh, it's out of print
3: hmm.
4: on the uh, fundamental a label called Fundamental. Put it out.
3: Uh, I see. Okay.
4: Fundamental has, hasn't put out any records in the last 15, 20 years, I guess.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah
4: I, as far I, as I know, I mean, I apologize to um, Fundamental if, if they are putting out records. <laughs> I haven't heard from them.
3: There, There is a, a sort of feeling among people who follow you that you are on the fringes a little bit. And uh, and I wonder if that... Do you have, like, measures of success that matter to you, per se, at this point in your trajectory? I'm just curious if you feel that way. You, it seems to me you just do your own thing and it is what it is or whatever, and, and you seem content. But I think there is a kind of, like, we got to... You know, some of your fans are like, he's the greatest, we got to get behind him, we got to support Michael and spread the word about them, and that's great. That seems fantastic to me. I'm just curious if you have a particular uh, relationship with success that you may have you know, either resigned yourself to or reconciled yourself with. Uh, can you speak to that?
4: Well, survival, it's nice not to be doing the 9-to-5 type job five days a week, or six, or even two jobs.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's great to do what you love to do, And I think performing is part of my uh, psychological makeup. Yeah. Like uh, something I actually need to do from from time to time. I play the music uh, compulsively all the time. Yeah. Put songs together, and and then I actually need to uh, bring them to the people. I can't just hang out and uh, keep them to myself.
3: Yeah, I think some of us feel the same way about the work we do. It's just something we have to do at this point. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I would do it anyway. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Might as well take it to the people, yeah.
4: There was a a large period in my life when uh, I wasn't depending on music for a living, but I did it anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. I was still writing songs and playing with my friends, but I never—there was a long time there that I never, never went out and played gigs.
3: Right. Are you still an old car guy? I understand you're into old cars. Is that right? Yeah. Do you, do you have like a collect- yeah, yeah. Do you have a collection of them or anything?
4: No, I just have two that I run. Got a, a '68 Chevrolet Impala. In, in
3: mm-hmm.
4: I'll let it go for eight thousand right now. If anyone wants? To.
3: <laughs> oh, you're, try- you're try- <laughs> <laughs> trying to sell it, are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
4: uh- and I've got a uh, 1973 Dodge Coronet station wagon, which is my daily driver. Okay. We call it in the, in the obsession. It's called your daily driver. Your
3: daily driver. Okay. Okay. So you, do, you, do you know why you're, uh, did, what do you fix them up? You, you're able to repair them yourself, that kind of thing?
4: I do a lot of repairs myself, as much as I, I can. And I, I've rebuilt a, f- a few engines. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs>
3: Right. What is it about cars, old cars, even that that speaks to? You? I'm just curious. I mean, it's a bygone era in American, you know, industrialization. I suppose it, there's kind of a symbolic aspect well, they, to it. But what what is it about the cars that you like?
4: For one thing, they're, they're made out of metal. I like that, hmm. and uh, I just think they're beautiful. And uh, these days, the cars seem all seem to look alike. They, they all seem like sort of plastic bubbles. Yeah. And uh, it seems like everyone's car. You see the, these big highway scenes, you know these vistas. You get these streams of thousands of cars, and uh, every, every car looks brand new. Everybody's got a shiny plastic bubble. Yeah, and it, it it's bumped. You know, all the all the parts fall off on the on the highway.
1: <laughs> the yeah,
4: fenders fall off. Yeah, bumpers falls off. And it's uh, they've been to say that's a total, and uh, it doesn't turn me on too much.
3: Well, I I think of you as a progressive person. I'm curious, what do you make of electric cars, hybrids, these kinds of things in this day and age?
4: Well, they're uh, you know got to absorb these things slowly. I I rented a a Prius one time, and I had fun with it. But I I rent a sometimes I I rent a car. I'll I'll be renting a car on this northeast tour.
1: Yeah,
4: I have fun with them. They're less worry. It's less worry to to have a car that uh, you're not. Break will break
3: down on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. No, I guess I just meant in terms of you know ecological impact. There seems to be a trend towards hybrids and and electric cars. And I know that some of the um, uh, muscle car or older car aficionados kind of turn up their nose at them because there's no, they don't feel like, they they like the noise, they like the engine, they like burning the gasoline. I just wondered if you had a perspective yeah. on that.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm into that too. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Try to uh, conserve, not blow oil all over the place and uh, leak it all over the place, and uh, try to get the engine to function if I can get many miles per gallon as it's capable of. Yeah. And drive that way, too.
3: Yeah, no. Well, that's. You
4: can take a lot of fuel if, if you drive sensibly. There's things you should know.
3: Cruise control, that oh, helps. Cruise control is a big help for fuel consumption, that's my understanding.
4: My cars don't
3: have that. <laughs> the rental cars have them. You ever use it?
4: I do, amazingly.
3: Yeah, it's ha- I find it handy, actually. I, I was thinking about the last time I saw you play in Toronto at the Transac. You did a newer song. Uh, I believe it's called Bad Monsanto. Uh, if, if yeah, that, is yeah. that right? What compelled you to write that song? I'm just curious. I mean, it seems pretty obvious given the lyrical content, but for those who haven't heard it, to, to comment on Monsanto, what, what compelled you to do that?
4: Well, uh, for many years, I've been into uh, healthy food, and it seems like Monsanto's industry is poisoning the earth yeah, and uh, it's making it harder for us to get uh, food that's not actually poisoned. And Monsanto is... Uh, the Monsanto Corporation is pretty horrible. And uh, I, I did put out... I curated a record of about six tunes concerning the Monsanto industry. And uh, I asked the songwriters I know to uh, write a song about it. And I selected six tunes and, and uh, made a little set out of it. For a while, I sold the CD on my merch tables. It's also available on Bandcamp, and it's called uh, Dock GMO.
1: Yeah.
4: If anybody can go to band camp and hear the, these uh, six tunes that gathered together, and one of them I wrote, and that was uh, Bad Monsanto. Now, I have another one up my sleeve, but I haven't recorded it yet.
3: Okay. Uh,
4: so, new song just deals with Monsanto, and then there's four other verses that deal with other uh, social ills.
3: Yeah. I want to uh, ask about that in a, in a second, but uh, I just wanted to point out uh, among the people on the Doc GMO compilation is uh, old man Ludica, Chris Ludica from Nova Scotia, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, he's great.
3: Yeah, he's an old friend of mine, and I was uh, happy to... How did you connect with him, by the way?
4: Actually, it was... Uh, I think he connected with me. I think maybe he sent me a song. He got wind that I was curating uh, this Monsanto thing. I see. But but it was also on... when I After I went to... Sackville. And I went on to uh, Nova Scotia, and some folks told me about Chris.
3: Oh, I see. Okay.
4: I met him in Wisconsin a couple years ago at the Jack Pine Jamboree. Yeah, also I met him for the first
3: time. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, he's a very gifted songwriter, and his song on this comp is great as well. Again, it's called Doc GMO. It's on uh, Bandcamp. Um, you mentioned that you've one of your new songs contains uh, verses about various social ills. Um, I must ask you, since you have been around a long time and you've seen a lot of stuff, this current political landscape, I'm curious about two things. One, a lot of people say we haven't seen the likes of what's going on in your country before. I, I think that's fair to say. I wonder if you have a perspective on what's happening and, and where it might go. And, and secondly, I wonder if it is, it's it is in fact, inspiring you to write uh, music and make art and and sort of respond to it in that way.
4: Well, I'm not uh, responding to it too much. do listen to a lot of the news. But as far as that song that I have up my sleeve, what's it called? Uh, called Be That As It May. Or maybe that's what I could call it. I haven't really called it anything. Today.
3: Be That, it that As It May.
4: <laughs> police, police shooting the citizens down. Deals with uh, people buying elections. And it deals with... Uh, see what else we've got here. Yeah, I guess it's buying the elections, shooting people down for no good reason, and poisoning of the earth and the air and the water. My main beats, I
3: guess. Yeah, well, I appreciate that you want to speak to these things. I don't feel like as many artists will speak to these things as maybe they could, and, uh, and perhaps as, as much as they should. But at the same time, You know, everyone's kind of processing this and trying to respond to it in in their own way. So uh, all I can say is thank you for your work on that level. And you're saying you might have a new record or new songs out in the next uh, year or so?
4: Yeah, probably, uh, maybe even this year. I have a release coming out uh, officially on November 2nd, which is on the the Feeding Tube label. And it's called uh, Living Lubliana, Okay. It's a, uh, a live performance from 1995 in uh, Slovenia, Ljubljana, Slovenia. Oh, okay. A trio. I think that was the first time uh, I did a such a tour like that with a small band in, uh, in any European country. It was mostly in Germany, and we went into Austria and, and uh, Slovenia. And it was 1995, and so that's coming out.
3: Great, November second, you said.
4: I'll be released on uh, November second. Right, officially out there.
3: Great, excellent. And and where can people go to learn more about you, Michael?
4: Oh, www.snacconews.net. <laughs> Snocko is spelled S-N-O-C-K-O.
3: Yes, yeah, Snock and Snocko, these are recurring sort of uh, motifs, I suppose, in your work. Where, where is, What is the origin of Snock and Snocko?
4: snock was my nickname when I was uh, around 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, running around Bucks County with my pals. I was a Tennessee here. Rename everybody, just about everybody I know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Give them a nickname. Including myself. Right. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's, it lends a kind of enigmatic quality to you and your work, if I might say. Okay, so people can find you online uh, via that uh, link. Uh, Michael, is there a song from, I suppose, almost anywhere in your catalog that we can play for people right now who uh, may want to hear uh, something of yours?
4: The Portland Water.
3: Okay, now which which version of that song would you like me to play?
4: <laughs> uh, doesn't matter. <laughs>
3: okay, <laughs> okay.
4: Come, come to Portland.
3: Come to Portland. Drink the water. Listen to all the versions of this song that you can find. Is that what you're saying?
4: Come see me play at the There's Public House on the third Friday of of the month in uh, in Portland.
3: Okay, that that's a, I appreciate the that, invitation
4: there with a four-piece band called the croakers Michael Hurley and the croakers
3: oh cool was there anyone in the band we might know
4: you might have heard of Louis Longmire he plays about 20 gigs a week okay you might have heard of Dave Reich who plays probably uh, six gigs a week <laughs> and I don't I, I play probably on three gigs a month when I'm not on one of these
3: Oh, okay. Okay, well, I... Probably, I, I, probably I, never heard of me. <laughs> We've heard of you, and I've heard of you, and uh, uh, this is uh, The Portland Water by Michael Hurley. Uh, Mr. Hurley, this was a, a great honor and a pleasure. I appreciate all the time you gave me today and and, and for fielding these questions. I, I look forward to seeing you play live again very soon, and, and best of luck with everything going forward.
4: Oh, it was nice talking to you. Mm-hmm.
2: Deep Portland water, that's swelling cold And it swelled my body, but not the soul Put a call up to Portland on the public telephone To said it sure is raining here in the state of Oregon up in the canyon Looking down in the river And the wind come blowing And it makes me shiver. Put oh, it called up to Portland On the public telephone They said it sure is raining Here in the state of Oregon You'll see them engines standing by the water. They say the river that's the spirit's daughter. Put it call up to Portland on the public telephone. They said it sure is raining here in the state of Oregon. I saw the puma I'm going back To Montezuma Put a call up to Portland On the public telephone They said it sure is raining Here in the state of Oregon Honey, 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 honey What you're trying to do Why don't you signal When you are through Put a call up to Portland On the public telephone They said it sure is raining Here in the city before it gone
3: special thanks to Jay Pollard of the Invocation Concert Series in Toronto, not only for bringing Michael Hurley to town on a couple of occasions, but for also asking him to appear on this episode of the show. Thank you to Michael Hurley for the time and for being on this, the 425th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify, YouTube and Audio Boom as well. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you've looked on some of those platforms, but it's not there for some reason, they have limited numbers of uh, shows that they might uh, permit to be on a, any given feed. But if, you, if you're looking for something and you can't find it, the uh, odds are it's on my website, where you can also go to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter. That The site is my name, .com, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative, or follow me at Vishkana. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at cfru.ca or on an actual terrestrial radio at ninety three point three FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation and whatever amount you wish and can afford whatever it is please patreon.com slash creative control special thanks to all the people who have been uh, pledging as of late it really means a lot and uh, it, it, all the support you can provide uh, in in your support and belief in this show that that would be awesome so again patreon.com slash creative control I'd like to thank the in-kind support I received for this show from the likes of Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, Granddad's Donuts, and a uh, Planet of Sound. Planet of Sound locations in Toronto and Ottawa. They all help in their own way. Thanks, too, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use the instrumental version of his song, The Rest is Yet to Come, to end this show each week. Go to jimguthrie.org to learn more about Jim. And finally, thank you for listening to this show and uh, subscribing to... The podcast on your podcast platform and downloading episodes and uh, and hopefully telling your friends to do the same. That really helps and means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to add at this moment. So I'm going to split, but I will talk to you very, very soon. I hope you're well. Goodbye for now.